Galatians chapter 5. Last week we finished up chapter 4. And of course we're all aware, I'm sure, that uh, these letters that are written, they're not written in chapter and verses. It's one long letter Paul wrote to these churches. And I would actually encourage everybody here that if you can ever get your hands on one, they, you can find them online uh, to purchase. Uh, if you can't find one in your local, uh, I'm hesitant to say Christian bookstore because most of the bookstores aren't really Christian. They're full of junk. But uh, at your local Bible buying outlet, maybe that would be the best way to say it. <laughs> uh, if you can find one there, if not, they have these available to read online. But I would encourage you to find a, a Bible that is not broken up into chapters and verses that are that's in paragraph form that is just uh, not broken up and read that way whenever you're just reading and everything because um, whenever you read these in the context and in the way that it was intended which is as a letter you know uh, this right here would have been you know Paul would have sent this to the church and these churches in Galatia and the pastor would have stood up and would have read this from beginning to end to the congregation. And so that was, that was how this was intended. Paul was conveying one big idea or one big issue that he had and was conveying it in this letter. And as with all of his epistles, uh, that's what that is. It's just a, it's a, a continuing letter. And so, it's unfortunate sometimes because these chapter verses and, and, and breaks uh, between the chapters, we kind of, our mind shuts off and then comes back on in a different place. You know, we, we, we okay, well, we're done with chapter four. All right, start in chapter five. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. But this is a continuation of what Paul has just said in chapter four. And if you don't have a grip on what Paul's been saying, in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, chapters 5 on through 6 is not going to make any uh, sense to us, right? Uh, remember, Paul is writing this letter to a, to these churches where Jews from Jerusalem had come into their midst and was trying to persuade them back underneath the law. Paul had been there to preach the gospel to them, which the gospel was the gospel of free grace was the gospel of imputed righteousness, was the gospel for Christ alone, for righteousness, for salvation, that Christ did all things required by the law on behalf of his people, that Christ died in their place, and that all their sins have been forgiven, and all of their righteousness has been established for them, and laid to their account, and so that as far as God sees, they are holy and righteous as he is holy and righteous. That was the gospel that Paul brought to them. That was the gospel that Paul brought to everybody. That's the gospel that we should be taking to everybody that we preach the gospel to. Is the gospel of salvation accomplished, not salvation offered or invited to. Okay? It's salvation that has been accomplished. Jesus came and died for his people. The Bible says that he shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what he did, he saved them from their sins and he imputed unto them or and laid to their account. That's what that word imputed means is laid to their account his perfect obedience, his righteousness. Okay? So that's what was preached to them, but these Judaizers had come in and said, You gotta keep the law, you gotta get back underneath that law, you gotta be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved. And to stay saved, to stay right before God. And so Paulus came in, he's warning them, hey, this is not the gospel, this is another gospel. Those who are preaching this to you are not the servants of Christ. This is an anathema. This is not, this is a curse. Okay? Anybody that preaches that gospel is preaching a cursed gospel, a curse upon you. Matter of fact, the Bible clearly says those who are under the law are under a curse. 
right? So anybody that comes and preaches to you that you need to be under the law is preaching to you a curse. <laughs> because if you're under the law, you're going to be cursed. Because all the law can do is condemn us because we cannot keep it. It just condemns us. And so Paul's saying, listen, this is not good news. That's what the word gospel means is good news, right? That's not good news. Good news is not here. Here's 731 laws. Be sure to keep them perfectly from now on. Okay? That's not good news. Oh, and by the way, if you break one of them, you've broken all of them. And the wages of breaking those is death. So there you go. Good news for you. Right? That's not good news, brother. You know what is good news? You can't keep them, but someone kept them for you. Someone not only kept them for you, but God now reckons you as having kept them because he kept them for you. And you don't have to do nothing about it. You don't have to do nothing for it. That righteousness that he did, I'm I'm taking that and stamping it on your account. He did it. You did it. If he did it, you did it. So as as perfect as Christ was, that's how perfect you are in my sight. Now, not actually because you sin, but that's how God accounts us. That's how we are looked upon. We are looking. Uh, we are looked on by Christ in Christ, right? And so that's what Paul is saying. That's the good news. The good news is we don't have to work for this salvation. The good news is that we have, don't have to perform to a certain level for this salvation. We don't, have, we don't have to keep up with all the laws and all the commandments. We don't have to keep these things for righteousness. We don't have to keep these things for justification, for sanctification, for glorification. We don't have to keep the law for righteousness. But yet these people have been bewitched. And so Paul has gone through in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, explaining to them how the law works and that the law was intended never to bring righteousness, but to condemn us, is to show us our need for Christ. And so we ended last week at the end of chapter 4, but it wasn't a stop, it's a actual, it flows right into verse 5, but we read last week, if you'll remember, we seen, matter of fact, let me start in, ver, in verse 1 and verse 5, and we'll, we'll backtrack as we go. But starting in verse 1, chapter 5, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Now we're going to stop right there. We probably won't get much further than that today. But let's go back and look. We Paul starts out this, this verse, or starts out here. He says, stand fast therefore in the liberty that word, therefore, we always talk about these little connecting words and uh, all these uh, words that, uh, like, uh, 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 for and uh, uh, therefore and things that connect these uh, phrases together. Whenever we see that therefore, I, my grandpa used to always say we need to find out what the therefore is there for. Okay? Why does he say therefore? He could have said it at the beginning. Therefore, stand fast in the liberty or he could say, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Either way, it's still pointing back to something. The therefore is saying, in light of what I've been saying, stand fast in the liberty. Okay? The admonition here, the encouragement that Paul is trying to convey in verse 1 is, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So the therefore is tying in, in light of everything that I've discussed, in light of everything that I have been uh, expounding upon, therefore, in light of that, stand fast in the liberty. So what has Paul been saying? Well, like I just said, like I just reiterated all the chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, all those things that Paul was saying 
up till this point. But if we look particularly in what we've seen in the last few weeks in the uh, previous verses, look if you would back up in chapter 4, look at verses uh, 6 and 7. Paul said this, he said, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So if we would just take that portion right there and tack it on right before verse 1 of chapter 5, we could say, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. See, Paul is saying, listen, it's all about what Christ has done on your behalf, not what you have to do. You've been given liberty in Christ, therefore stand and reckon yourself to be in that liberty, in that freedom. We're going to talk about the word here in just a minute. Uh, look also at verse 28, chapter 4, verse 28. He says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Therefore, stand fast in the liberty. Where we cry, we are the children of promise. What does that mean? That means we have been promised righteousness. We have been promised salvation. We have been promised glorification. We have been promised all the inheritance of Christ. Everything that he has done on our behalf, that's ours. Everything that is going to be ours in the future, that's ours already. And he says, in light of the promises, the fact that you are the children of promises, not like Ishmael, who was the child to be cast out, you are the child of promise. You are the spiritual child of God, not the fleshly child of God. See, the people, the reprobates are the fleshly children of God. Okay? They're children of God in the, in the fact that He created them. He is the creator of them. But we, not only are we in the flesh created by God, but the Bible says that we are a new creation. We are a new creature. We're different than everybody else. The elect of God is different than everybody else because we have been born from above. We have been born from heaven. And that that is a new creation. It's a, we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that, that they as children are children of the flesh. And we, we are the children of God spiritually. We are his spiritual seed. Okay? And so, we can look at verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Therefore, Stand fast in the liberty. You're a freeborn child. Stand in that. Stand on that. Don't be sucked back in to thinking you've got to keep law and be a servant to the law anymore. You're not a servant to the law. You're a servant to Christ. Christ served the law for you on your behalf, and therefore you're his servant. And what has he commanded you to do? He hasn't commanded you to go back to Moses. He's commanded you to look unto him the author and the finisher of your faith. He's commanded you to believe upon Him, to look upon Him, trust upon Him, to hope in Him. Our hope is in Christ, right? So Paul, when he says, therefore, he's saying, in light of everything that I have told you about the, the downside of the law and the upside of the gospel, stand fast in the liberty. Okay? So that's why he's going on. So that's why I say it's important that we that we flow from one chapter to the next just as if it's one letter. That's why I say if you look in those Bibles that don't break chapters, a lot of times you're going to get a little bit different understanding of things. I found that whenever I read the Bible like that, that it is uh, that it is a lot of times the context comes out a lot clearer whenever I'm not stopping at breaking points where man has done that in his uh, uh, making of the Bible, okay? Uh, so remember, in the original language, there's not chapters and verses and breaks and all that kind of stuff, right? Okay, so stand fast. Therefore, in light of all that has been said, 
about the gospel and about the law. Now, let's look at this word, stand fast. Paul is telling these Galatians, stand fast, therefore. Stand fast in the liberty. That word stand fast means to be stationary, unmovable, to persevere. The word also translated throughout our Bible means to abide, right? To abide. Now, we've heard that term before, right? The Scriptures tells us, Jesus said, If ye abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. That we are, that he is the, that we are the branches and he is the vine. If we abide in him, we will bear much fruit, right? We've heard that word before. Well, this word stand fast means to abide, to be stationary, to persevere. It's basically saying, listen, as a child, as a freeborn child, not born of Hagar, but born of Sarah, the one who is born free, Stand or abide in that. Rest in that. Okay? Just be stationary in that thought. Be stationary in that motivation that we are free people and that we have been given this freedom or this liberty because of the work and righteousness of Jesus Christ and not ours. It's never in our... Anytime that we begin to work, that's going to be labor. That's not abiding. That's not stand fat. That's not standing fast. That's not persevering. That is trying to gain. To persevere is not trying to push further and gain more. Persevering is to stay steady. That word persevere, it doesn't mean to accomplish something. It means to stay steady. To persevere in the faith means to stay steady in the faith. Is to continue in the faith. To stay in the same mindset of the faith. What does the faith tell us? Well, the faith tells us that salvation is of the Lord. The faith tells us that salvation is because of Christ. Faith tells us that it is the faith of Christ that has justified us. Not your works or your faith. It's the faith of Christ that has justified us. So, whenever we persevere, whenever we stand fast, that standing fast is basically... Staying stationary in our place, in our mindset, to believe what Christ has told us. Believe what the Word of God is testifying of what Christ did for us. Believe what is being said about us, that even though we are wretched and vile and full of sin and continue to break laws, okay, we continue to be sinful people... God still reckons us holy and righteous. Now, brethren, that goes against all religious thinking. Religious people think that you have to continue to do good and to be uh, right with God and to follow the law of God so that you can continue to be in good standing with God and that if you continue to do bad, then God's going to punish you for something and, and going to do bad and not reward you. You're going to get rewards for doing good. Rewards are going to be taken if you do bad and all this stuff. And listen, that weighs on your mind. And in the flesh, the flesh says, oh, I better get to work. I better get to work doing these laws so that I can stay right with God. Or at the very least, so that I can look good to the brothers and sisters in Christ. See, we, we not only worry about our conscience telling us, oh, we better get in there and do some good works, but we also battle with the pride uh, in our flesh that says, oh, i, I got to keep up with these other people who are religious. i got to look good. If I don't do so much good, then I'm not going to look as religious to everybody. See, we begin to look around, and the standard of our obedience the standard of our righteousness becomes everybody else. we got to be as good as everybody else or better. See, that's what the Pharisees was all about. Their standard of righteousness was, well, we're, we're better than this sinner over here, this publican, remember? Remember whenever that, uh, that uh, religious Pharisee was standing there praying to God, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this poor sinner here? Why? Because he thought he was keeping the law. He thought he was making a righteousness for himself. 
And so to persevere in the faith, the faith is that doctrine or that body of Christ. To, to persevere is to stay steady, to continue in, to keep trucking. Okay, as we would say in the, in the South. Keep on trucking in your lane. Keep doing this. Okay? And what, what have we been told to do? To believe upon Christ. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. Now let's look at this word liberty. This word liberty means unrestrained. It means unrestrained. It's, it's, it's uh, translated unrestrained. Uh, in other places in scripture. It's also translated free. So stand fast. Keep, keep, keep persevering or keep your mind set. Continue in the thinking of your freedom. Okay? So whenever the Bible says that we are, uh, given liberty or freedom, what does that mean? Well, that means that we have been now unrestrained. We no longer have the curse of the law upon us. We no longer have the curse of sin upon us. We no longer have the curse of death upon us, right? Christ has removed uh, the curse of the law. He has removed sin and death. That is no longer an issue. We no longer have the enemy uh sin and death. Sin and death is nothing. Do we sin? Yes. <clears throat> Is sin a problem with God? No. My friend J.C. Fulton told me one time, and I think it was actually a requote from a, a, another friend of ours, Brother Royce. Um, but he, he he mentioned sometime, he said, you know, uh, he, he asked, he said, you think God has a problem with your sin? He doesn't have a problem with your sin. You might have a problem with your sin, but God doesn't have a problem with your sin. Your sin is nothing to God. Because Christ has already taken it. And see, that, <clears throat> brother, here's where the Judaizer gets his foothold in the heart and mind of a Christian. Okay? The Judaizer comes in and says, well, that couldn't be. Don't you think God wants you to be act holy? Don't you think God wants you to act all these laws out and everything? See, there's that mindset that says that God is holy, therefore... He hates sin, which he does. He is holy, and he does hate sin. And he says, therefore, since God hates sin, surely he isn't fine with you just continuing to sin. You better quit sinning. Now, I'm, I'm assuming, I hope, that I'm making a fair assessment of what the modern evangelical believes. That's what I believed. That's what I used to preach. That's what I hear taught in a lot of churches around town, around the country. If you turn on the radio and the TV, that's what you hear, is that God hates sin, and God wants you to stop sinning. Quit sinning. You need to start sinning less. Well, Paul here has already told us it isn't about sinning more or sinning less, because if you sin at all, that's it. You're done. You've broken the law. And the wages of sin is death. That there is no keeping the law. There is no one that keeps the law. So there is no more sinning less. Okay? There's moving sin around. We might quit drinking, but we might continue doing this over here. It's still sin. You're still a sinner. You're still having sin in your flesh. Right? <clears throat> and so the religionist, the modern evangelical is saying... See, you've got to stop doing that. I've even had some that has actually told me that since they've been saved, they don't sin as much as they used to. They sin less. But they've become more holy than they were. Well, brethren, I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Paul never does say, say that. Paul, whenever he wrote Romans 7, when he said, O wretched man that I am, when he says, I cannot keep the law, in my flesh. I continue to, to fail. To fail, to fail. Paul wrote that. The Apostle Paul. Not that he's any different than us, but, you know, the Lord did use him to write most of the New Testament, and he was the, uh, the Apostle that most was talked about. Even Peter. 
you know, talked about Paul. And how that his doctrine and his writings were so so great that it was hard to understand them, even for Peter. Okay? So we're not getting more holy. So the liberty that we have is standing in the unrestrained freedom that God does not account our sin towards us anymore. I remember whenever the Lord really began to reveal these things and to give me more light on this than what I had uh, before on this. And I'm not talking about I'm someone special. Any of us in here, if you know anything that's true, it's because God has revealed it and he's given you light to understand that. Okay, so I'm not talking about some special revelation that I have and nobody else has. I'm not talking about some special out-of-Bible revelation. I'm talking about in studying the Word of God, the Spirit is our teacher, and sometimes we have not yet been fully taught certain things. This was one of them for me. And I remember I was studying on this, and matter of fact, it was the first time I preached through relations at this church whenever I first come to to pastor here. And I remember we was having a Wednesday night Bible study here at our house. And I was a little bit nervous to bring the subject up because I didn't know how everybody else looked at this and everything. But I brought up the fact that there is a difference in the sin of the reprobate and the sin of the elect. That God views them in different ways. The sin of the reprobate, all it can do is condemn them. The sin of the reprobate is is there. It is always going to be on their account. They are always going to be guilty of that sin. And God is going to hold them in account for that sin. And they will be punished for that sin. That is their lot. That is their destiny. That is why God created them. They were created for that condemnation, uh, the epistle Peter says. Okay, so they are created for that. However, the relation of sin and the elect is different between them and God. God doesn't view their sin anymore. God has taken care of their sin issue in Christ Jesus. And the reason that sin continues to remain in, uh, in the elect is so that we continually are reminded of our need for Christ. Why did God not just take away our sin? Because we need to be reminded. Why did he not do that? It's so that his work of faith in the elect will be seen and that God will be glorified because of faith. Not our faith. Not us mustering up faith, but because we have been given something that is supernatural, that the natural man cannot do, that the natural man cannot perceive, that thinks it's foolish to say, you mean I can just be nothing, do nothing, and God loves and saves me? Absolutely. See, we have an inherent problem, and that is we think that we can produce righteousness. It goes all the way back to the garden. Adam thought, and Eve thought they could produce a righteousness of their own, they wanted to be as God. That was the lie. You can be as God. Make your choice, choose this, and you can be as God. That's what everybody, if I, by my free will, will just obey these laws, I can be right before God. That is the sin of all sins. That is the sin of all sins. Brethren, is to think that we can perform righteousness before God and be accepted based upon our own righteousness. And so faith looks to Christ alone. So Paul here is saying, stand fast, abide. Don't try to make more of it or less of it. I mean, you, we can make we can't make more of what Christ has already done, right? <laughs> we could we can continue to praise him for it, but I can't. I can't make it any more than it is because it is what it is. And it's great. It's glorious. It's grandiose. But brethren, I can't add to it. You by your righteousness is not adding to Christ's righteousness. Okay? And we surely can't take nothing away from it. So what do we do? We abide in it. 
We just stay. We stay firm. Stand firm. Stand fast in the freedom that he has given us. Stand fast in the thought process that, yes, I might be committing sins, but that is not how God views me. My sin is not a problem to God because Christ has forgiven me of all my sin because of his shed blood. So now, what is my mindset? Whenever I sin, the Holy Spirit might convict me of that sin, will convict me of that sin, and what do I do? I confess before God that I'm a sinner and still in need of his righteousness. Whenever I sin, what does it do? It reminds me. You missed it again. What do I do? I continue to look to Christ, thanking Him for His righteousness, thanking Him for His death, His burial, His resurrection, thanking Him for keeping the law on my behalf. What does my sin do? It's different than the reprobate. The reprobate, it continually condemns them, but for the child of grace, it is working within them the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ. And I know that sounds weird. Some people may not even agree with me. There'll probably be comments sent to me, I'm sure, on Facebook. But sin actually works within the child of grace. Grace. All things work together for good to them who are the call. Even our sin is working to our good. The reason that God has continued to let that sin stay, and we're not condemned, we're not going to be held accountable for that because Christ held it, uh, held, held, was held accountable for us. That sin is still teaching us that we need Christ. That's why it's still here. That's why God isn't erasing all of our sin, and we just become holy little angels here on earth. That's why we're not super uh, holy people, is because if we were we wouldn't need Christ anymore. But brethren, that sin, what it does to me daily, hourly, that sin reminds me, my fear are totally no good. You're worthless. And my need for Christ is magnified. And what Christ did for me is magnified. It humbles me before God. It humbles me to know that Christ loved me and while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me and while I was in unbelief, Christ did all that for me and then gave me the Spirit of God so that I might be able to enjoy that salvation. Give me the Spirit of God so that I might know of what He did for me. Listen, if He wouldn't have done that, I would have never known. So Paul is saying, stand fast in that freedom, in that liberty. Keep trucking. Don't look back at the law. Don't look back at your sins. Keep trucking. Your sins are past. Your future sins are coming. But stand fast that you have been given freedom. You're not serving the law of sin anymore. You're serving Christ. So the law of sin cannot say anything to you. Listen, I used to work for another company before I come to work for Ozark Imaging. And right now, if I would happen to run into my old boss somewhere out in the field where we occasionally might run into each other, and he tells me, hey, you need to go do this or go do that, I don't have to listen to him. He's not my boss anymore. I do not serve him. I serve another boss. I listen to what that boss says. I do what that boss says. That boss now has... Uh, has my has captured my attention and my servitude. Well, brethren, we who have died to the law are no longer servants to the law. We are servants to Christ. He is our husband that we serve now. We serve under him. And whatever that old thing says, we're dead to it. We don't have to listen to it. It's not our uh, master anymore. We don't have to listen to what it says. We don't have to do what it tells us to do. We do what our new master tells us to do, and he tells us to look unto him, to believe upon him, to thank him and praise him and glorify in what he has done for us, and to rest in that. And then to communicate that same love to the brethren. Right here, what are we doing today? I'm communicating that love of Christ 
to you if you're a, if you're a child of grace. I'm communicating that love to the brethren. We are to love God and to love the brethren. How do we communicate love? By preaching the gospel, by teaching the gospel, by encouraging in the gospel, admonishing with the gospel. That's how we do it. Yeah, we do. We help each other by, you know, loaning people money or helping people when they're sick or, you know, doing work for them or doing this stuff. Yeah, that's nice to do good works. And we're going to see that as we go on down, down the line that we are to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. But what is keeping the law of loving God and loving the brethren? That is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. To love him for who he is and what he's done. Believing his gospel, believing his doctrine, and then conveying that to those and correcting and rebuking. That is also love. Did you ever realize that? That if somebody comes to you and corrects you in the doctrine, that that is actually a sign of love. Now, for some, it may not be. Uh, some may, you know, of course, we have our Facebook warriors that like to get out there and debate everything with everybody. And, you know, they're out there headhunting, looking for heretics, and they just want to debate and it's easy to get entangled in that, okay? But if you truly love somebody, you're going to correct and rebuke them with the Scripture. In meekness and gentleness and long-suffering, praying that God would peradventure grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And listen, if somebody comes to you in love with the Word of God and says, hey, have you thought about this? You know, you were saying this, and I, I think you might be a little off on that. Take that into account and say, hey, Praise the Lord. Somebody loves me enough to pull me aside and say, hey, you, you're, you might be wrong. Go to God's word and look and see whether what they're saying is true. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith... Let's, look, let's, let's move on from liberty. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's look at a few verses here. Paul has talked about liberty already. Um, look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4. We remember whenever Paul went... <clears throat> Uh, to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. He said in chapter 2, look, look at starting verse 1, Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or have run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Here it is, verse 4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So here we see that Paul is reporting that there were some of the Judaizers that had came in and was trying to subvert everything. They came in to spy and say, is this really true what they're saying? Is this really true what they're preaching? Are they going around telling everybody that they don't have to keep the law anymore? Let's go, let's go check that out. I, I don't believe that. Surely they're not saying that. And so what did these guys do? They, they came in to see, is this really true? Is this the gospel these people are preaching? And sure enough, it was. And what did Paul say there? He said, they came and spy out our liberty that which uh, that we have in Christ Jesus. Why? That they might bring us into bondage. Didn't Paul tell us in chapter three or four uh, that uh, that this that this was bondage to go back into bondage in chapter four? Uh, that that to go back under the law is to go back under bondage. See, they wanted to bring them back into bondage. Bring them back underneath the law. But what was Paul's defense of that? What did he say? He said, to whom, those who were preaching to go back under bondage, we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. We didn't tolerate that. We didn't like that. We didn't want that. We're not going to tolerate that kind of preaching here. That's what Paul's saying. He said, we didn't give them opportunity to preach that junk at all. Because that is not the gospel. And that's why he said later that anybody who preaches this, or that's why he just had said before he said all this, he said if anybody preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. 
that they're not a servant of Christ. These men were coming in amongst these churches and was preaching this, and they were not servants of Christ. They were servants of, of the devil. So we see that our liberty can be shaken, our standing fast can be shaken whenever we listen to those who preach the law. That was Paul's purpose in saying this. Listen, stand fast in the liberty. If you don't stand fast in your liberty, you're gonna, your flesh is gonna be drawn away by this siren song of religiousness. This religiousness will make you say, well, that's got to be true. I better do that, or otherwise God's going to be mad at me. See, it's so easy to fall into that. And the flesh is so eager to do it. That's why Paul says to stand fast in your freedom. The liberty that's been given to you. Look with me, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do I have a brother? I have a brother. I have a couple of brothers. And then I have a bunch of brothers in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Is this your home? It is. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And look if you would. And I'm I'm going to start reading... uh, in verse 13, well, it's kind of hard to just break into this. Let's look, let's, let's go back to, uh, verse 8. It says, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation, that's the ministration of the law, be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that uh, excelled. For if that which is done away was glorious, being the law, much more that which remaineth, remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. If you'll remember, whenever Moses went up into the mountain to receive the commandments of the Lord, the Bible said that whenever he came down, that his face shined with so much glory that he had to put a veil over his face because the people couldn't look on him because of the glory that was emanating off of his uh, off of his face. And so he had put a veil over his face, okay? Uh, well, the the Old Testament, the law, is like that too. There is glory in it, but it has a veil over it. The glory within the law is not the law itself. While the law excelleth, as Paul says here, the law excels, but it isn't that, that it excels like that which is exceedingly excelling. The the Righteousness of Christ, what's found in the law is the shadow or the type of Christ. And if that be so, if the law be so glorious and have to have a veil to clothe it over so you can't really see, then what about this? This righteousness must be even more glorious. But the Bible says that we look into this righteousness, this New Testament, this New Covenant, this gospel of Jesus Christ with unveiled faces. We have the veil removed from us. But look what it says. It says, And now as Moses which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was, which is abolished. There again, brethren, what did he say? Look to the end of that which is abolished. Those who believe that the law is still in effect for us to continue to work in and to, and to try to keep, it says here, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, who is God, Christ, is saying that it is abolished. Why do you want to keep saying that it's not abolished? That's in opposition to God's word. Look at verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil taken away in the reading of the Old Testament untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it is 
when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now what's he saying here? He's saying, if you remember, the Jews had a veil put over their face. They were blinded. They couldn't see the, the gospel. They couldn't see Christ in the gospel or in the Old Testament. Okay? They couldn't understand. They didn't see Christ and how that the Old Testament was pointing to Christ and how that Christ was the fulfillment of all those types of shadows. God had not revealed that to them. Now, could they read it? Yes. Did they have it memorized? Absolutely. You could probably, uh, you could probably uh, assume that every one of those little Jewish boys and girls had been taught that law so thoroughly, and which is a shame we don't have that same uh, uh, aspirations a lot of times, but they knew that so thoroughly that they knew exactly what that law said. But yet they didn't see Christ in it. They didn't see the fulfillment of it in Christ. Why? That's because it's not something that we can do naturally. It has to be revealed to us. And this is what Paul is saying. Until that veil is taken away by God, we will not see Christ in that law and fulfilling that law and being the keeper of the law for us. We will never understand the liberty and the freedom that we have from that until the veil has been taken away from our eyes. And here Paul is saying that even now, whenever Moses is read to them, it's not condemning them, it is pumping up their pride to make them think that they can keep the law and it makes them work even more. Where with the gospel, what do we do? We rest. You see, we, we talked about the opposites a couple weeks ago, remember? Whenever you talk about work, whenever you talk about the law, you're talking about having to do work. But whenever you're talking about grace, whenever you're talking about the freedom and the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus, it speaks of rest. We rest in Christ. We don't work for Christ. We rest in Christ. You work for the law. I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. <clears throat> but it says here that, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, now, now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Whenever the child of grace has the Spirit of the Lord, and, it is, and the veil has been taken away, there is liberty there. They begin to see that they are free from the law and its curses, they're free from the condemnation. They're free from having to work for the law and to keep the law for righteousness. And they stand in that. That is the character of the child of grace. The character of the child of grace is not to continue to serve the law. And you say, well, what about those who profess to be Christians who are doing that? You keep saying you know preachers who are preaching that. Well, brethren... Don't take my word for it. Take what God's word says for it. If they're preaching that, they're not preaching the gospel. Paul says that in chapter 1. If they are preaching another gospel, they're not a servant of Christ. I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit said that. Paul wrote it down in chapter 1. The Bible also says that if they do not come with the doctrine of Christ, then we're not to receive them. We're not even to wish them Godspeed, right? The doctrine of Christ is that salvation is not by the law, by Christ. All right, turn now, if you would, to James chapter 1. And I know this is a... A lot of people like to say that James is a book of works. And that James um, contradicts Romans. But brethren, it doesn't, if you have spiritual mind, see what James is saying. Look with me, if you would, at verse 25. Actually, let's look at 23, starting in 23. It says, For if any be a hearer of the word, 
and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Okay? But here it is. Look at verse 25. Now, we got to understand what it means to be a doer of the word. And we may have to get into that at another time. But verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, not the law of the Old Testament, not the law of Moses, we're looking at the law of liberty. Whosoever looketh into the law, perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. We're not to look into the law of Moses, but the law of liberty or the law of Christ. Okay? Whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful here, that's what it means to be continually looking at that and not being a forgetful. Look at what it says here. And I want you to pay close attention. If you got your Bibles, pay attention and read along with me here. This man shall be blessed in his deed. It doesn't say this man shall be blessed for his deeds. You see that? You understand the difference between those two? A man who is blessed for his deeds is, is a man who is rewarded for doing something. A man who is blessed in his deeds is blessed because he's doing something. His doing it is the blessing. The blessing comes in the fact that he enjoys what he is doing. He is reaping from what he is doing. He is profiting from what he is doing. What is he doing? What is the what is he doing? He is looking into the perfect law of liberty and continuing in that. Not the law of Moses, the law of liberty. He is looking into believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's looking into look upon Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith. He's looking upon imputed righteousness on your behalf. See, he's looking into the law of liberty. And he's continuing in that. And as he continues to do that, he is blessed. Not rewarded for doing it. He is blessed in the fact that he's a part of it. You understand the difference? I hope I, I, I know I, I, I sometimes don't make things clear. And that might be as, as clear as I can make it right now without having to really think on it anymore. But the fact is, is that I rejoice that I am considered in this class of people, this group of people. I am in those who the Lord has saved, and He has given me His righteousness. I am a blessed person to be in this and not looking at the law. See, it isn't that if I keep this law, then God's going to give me jewels or crowns or money or health or you know, more kids or a bigger house or a better car or, you know, a jet or, you know, a bigger church. No, that's not what we're talking about. The blessing is the work in and of itself. Have you ever heard the expression that, uh, that uh, uh, if, you, if you do what you like to do, what's that old expression about work that, uh, it, you know, if you... If, you, if your job is something that, that you love to do, it's not really work. You know, you never work a day in your life. Why? Because you like to do what you do. That's kind of, the, that's kind of what we're talking about here. Is the blessing is not to receive external, you know, payment of some kind. But it's the blessing is the fact that you are included in these people. You remember whenever Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall. You know, blessed are these, for they shall. Blessed. Are. A lot of people look at the at the uh, Sermon on the Mount as a 
guidebook on what they need to do to get blessed. If they'll do this, then God's going to bless them with this. That's not what that is. That's why I hate the word uh, blessed. Whenever they use the word blessed there, it's blessed. It's saying a statement of fact. Those who are poor in spirit are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because they shall inherit the kingdom of God. That means that the ones who have been given to be to be a uh, be, to be poor in spirit, meaning that they realize that they cannot achieve righteousness on their own. To be poor in spirit is to know that I am a sinner, that I am unworthy, that I am nothing. That guy that was praying, Lord, save me, a sinner. That was a man poor in spirit. The guy standing beside him saying, "I'm glad I'm not that guy." He was not poor in spirit. This man was blessed. How was he blessed? Because God had given him the spirit of Christ to show him his sin, to show him his need for Christ, to grant him repentance, to grant him faith in Christ Jesus, to look unto Jesus for salvation. That was being blessed. That's what this is saying. For those those who are blessed, those who look into the, uh, the law of liberty are the ones who are blessed. Those who are looking into the law are the ones who are cursed. And they can't go any further than that. So being blessed in his deed. That word deed there is, is actually the word doing. Is blessed in his doing. So we are blessed in looking to Christ. We feel blessed by looking to Christ. If it wasn't for Christ and what he did, we would be lost and we would be without hope and we would be without salvation. And so we are blessed to be able to look and see what Christ has freely given to us. Verse, in chapter 2, the Bible says, <coughs> verse 10, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For ye shall have judgment without mercy, that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and hath not works? Can faith save him? <clears throat> the works that are going to be done are going to be done from within. The Spirit of God are going to be doing the works for us. So, Back to Galatians. We're just about done here. Back to Galatians. Chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. So it's Christ that has made us free. So again, it's not by our law-keeping that makes us free. It's not by our choosing, by our free choice. It's not by our free will. It's not by our uh, doing all these things. For Christ. No, it's Christ has made us free. His action, His work has made us free. But it says, And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So Paul is telling us here, in light of what has been said before, in light of the great liberty that you have been blessed with, and as you continue to look into the gospel, that's why we continue to preach the gospel, brethren. Because we want to look into the law of liberty. We want to continue to put that before the, the, the believer's face is the law of liberty because that's what they're called to look upon. It says, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This phrase here is, enough, is going back to what Paul uh, had um, uh, told about in back in Acts, Remember? Whenever the Jerusalem Council met and they said, you know, why why do we put a yoke upon the, 
the Gentile's neck that has never been put upon theirs? You know, why put a yoke upon their neck? He's talking about a, a, a burden. Why put a burden of bondage back on somebody? So here he's saying, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, the burden of, of the law. Don't preach it. Preach it for what it was intended to be preached about. Don't preach it for righteousness. Don't preach it for acceptance. Don't preach it for perseverance. Don't preach it for sanctification. That's not what the law is for. The law is to, is to decimate any hope that you have of gaining righteousness before God and to show you your need for Christ and His imputed righteousness. So don't be entangled again, brother. That's why we don't preach the law. For all those watching, we're not heretics. We are actually upholding what Christ has commanded to preach the law of liberty. We're preaching freedom in Christ, not bondage in the law of Moses. We preach Christ. The law of Moses can't, can't do anything for anybody. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach the, the victory of Christ who has overcome sin, who has overcome death and hell. We have over, we have, we're, we're rejoicing in the good news of what has been freely given to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, the Bible says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us. It's not, the Spirit of God is not given to us to tell us those things that we have to work for and earn. It's there to tell us of what has already been freely given to us in Christ. And it says, which things also we speak. That's what we preach. We preach those things. Not the things that you have to work for and earn. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teach. Man's, man's words, wisdom of, of the world, is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, get out there and, and start humping it, and be a self-made man. You, you get out there and earn it for yourself. Now, when it comes to natural things, I say that's true. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Get out there and work. It's, it's a man's responsibility to provide for his family. Get out and do that. The Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. Okay? So, get out there and work for what you need, for what you have. Okay? But whenever it comes to spiritual things, brethren, that's not the case. <laughs> the case is just the opposite in the spiritual understanding of things. It is take and say thank you. Say thank you for the free things that has been given to you and testify of that. Man, I did, guess what? I tried my whole life to be righteous and I never could do it. But I found out that Christ has done it for me and I don't have to work for that righteousness. He gives it freely. That's the gospel, brother. Go tell that to your friends, neighbors. But what's, what, what's, every, what's every church in this in this town, around this country, all over the world? What are they trying to tell people? Go out and earn your earn your respect before God. Go out and earn your fellowship with God. Go out and earn your acceptance with God. Go out and keep that fellowship by doing good works. You've got to stay in right fellowship with Him, brethren. It's an, it's it's impossible for us to do that. So stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for the Christ has made you free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Anybody got any questions or comments? Anybody want to shout and say praise the Lord? Great things He has done. Alright. I know we're Baptists, but it's okay once in a while. <laughs> say amen, raise your hand, say praise the Lord. <laughs> we have liberty to do that <laughs> let's just not flop on the ground like a drunk man <laughs> alright let's bow and have a word prayer Father we come to you once again we're so grateful for Christ Jesus and the gospel we're grateful for the good news that's been given to us in the word of God and we're thankful for the spirit 
of Christ that comes and reveals those things, gives, gives us life under these glorious truths. And Father, I pray that each one of these brethren that are here today is, is um, rejoicing in those truths. And I pray for those that are here, Lord, that have not been converted uh, by Christ. I pray, Lord, that they might, uh, by your Spirit today, be given understanding and repentance and faith to come to the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has freely given. Lord, I pray for, for their salvation. I pray, Lord, that they have been included in those that your blood was shed for. And Lord, I just pray that you'll be with us as we leave today and as we go this week, that you might speak and minister to our hearts through our studies. Lord, that you might teach us more of you. And Father, that you might give us opportunity to speak of Christ to those that we might be around. We pray, Lord, that you just guide us and direct us in that. We pray for our church, that you might bring others. Lord, we pray for um, all those that are not here this morning. And we, Lord, we know that you uh, uh, direct and control all things and that they're uh, at, at the place where you would have them to be. Uh, and Lord, I just pray, pray that your hand would be upon them. Uh, Lord, I just thank you again for this time of fellowship together in this uh, gathering. We ask, Lord, that uh, you might continue to meet with us each time we gather. We pray, Lord, that our worship has been pleasing to you and that the Spirit has aided us in, in worship and that it has given us uh, understanding of Christ and that it has uh, admonished us for things that may be wrong. And Lord, I pray that the things that I've spoken this morning may be of truth, and that if they are not, if they are of error, Lord, that you would bring correction not only to me, but into the minds and understanding of these brethren, that they might be given the truth and that they might stand upon it. Of course, in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.